I have a survival guide for all of you photographers listening, and it's Pixello. Pixello is a mobile-friendly, all-in-one software that helps photographers get it done with one simple plan. Pixello wants to help you build a successful business all in one place. We all know the feeling of trying to find time to get everything done. Shoots, editing, finding time for your personal life. Well, Pixello is here to save your sanity this busy season. Pixello can help you with anything from business coaching to client booking, galleries, and more. They also have a new business mastermind program where you can take part in easy-to-follow classes and be a part of a very engaged community of photographers that will help you build a successful photography business. Sign up for a free Pixello trial by using the link in the episode notes. That's P-I-C-S-E-L-L-O and use the link in the episode notes for a free trial of Pixello. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So much everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Oh Shoot. Today is a very special episode because we have a guest on today's episode. So today I am joined by Don Charles, which if you're a listener and you started all the way at the beginning of this podcast, I actually on like episode, I think like seven or eight, I said that I had like four people that really inspired me in my photography journey and Dawn was actually one of them. So it's really, really cool that she was able to make it on today's episode. So Dawn, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone who you are and what you do? Hi, I'm Dawn. Um, first of all, thank you. That is so sweet. I had no idea. I'm so flattered. Um, and I started as a wedding photographer about 10 years ago and uh, lived in Southern California, shooting weddings full-time there, and then got married moved to Oregon, started a family, and slowly transitioned away from being on a plane, shooting destination weddings all the time to settling down a little more, raising kids, balancing motherhood with wedding photography, and started to get into the digital product education side of things and since my first child was born, which was almost six years ago, I have slowly just transitioned away from shooting weddings into full-time photography education. So that's where I'm at today. Awesome. I would love for you to dive into your story a little bit and kind of tell everyone how you got started in wedding photography, but also what your transition into full-time photography looked like for you. Yeah. So I have always had an interest in just creative, creative, creative things and just thought I would always want a career doing something creative. And I didn't know exactly what that looked like, but I took my first um, photography class in high school, fell in love with it, ended up applying to different colleges with photography and or film as my major, depending on what they offered. And I was kind of open to either one and ended up at Cal State Long Beach with a degree in photography. And uh, through the process of getting that degree, I 
helped um, shoot some weddings, which I <laughs> didn't know anything about at the time and got asked to shoot some on my own and like really hadn't even been to a wedding since I was like 12. So um, props to them for trusting me on those. But at that point, I wasn't even trying to start a business. I was just like studying and shooting for fun. Um, and from there, it kind of transitioned into me um, taking a lot of portraits for my school assignments because that was what I was drawn to. And I didn't even realize that that was kind of setting me up for that path. I always thought I wanted to shoot like nature or like film sets and like things where I didn't have to be like one-on-one -on -one directing people because that intimidated me a little bit, but, um, started shooting my roommate a lot because she was a fashion design major. So I would shoot her designs and started getting asked by her friends who were all like young college kids getting engaged. If I did engagement photography and then I got an intern with a wedding photographer and right after I graduated, started my business. So I kind of dove straight into full time. Um, once I decided that I wanted to do wedding photography, I second shot for about nine months before I started taking my own weddings. But, um, the transition happened really quick and I think it was just perfect timing because I had just graduated. I moved home with my parents after school and kind of had nothing to lose and had this like ambition after getting out of college. I was like, okay, I have all this knowledge in my back pocket. And I just got done with this internship, learning all of the business side of things. So why not just take weddings? Like I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a family to support yet. So I can just like kind of figure it out as I go and see what happens. So it all kind of booked up and like took off really quickly. And I think that's because I had spent so many years just like doing it without the pressure and learning it. And then once I decided like, okay, I'm ready to go all in, I had already like spent all that time kind of preparing for that. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that you did an internship. Um, do you think that that's something that you would recommend for other people do to get started in wedding photography? Do you feel like that was a helpful experience for you? Just kind of walk me through your experience with that. Yeah, I, it was very beneficial for me. I think it was even more helpful than getting a degree in photography, which is crazy because <laughs> if you compare like the amount of time and money I spent for the degree versus the time and money spent on the internship, I just feel like it was so much more practical and it applied so much more to the real world and to a business. And although I don't regret getting a photography degree, I just don't think that that was as helpful in the practical sense. Um, but the internship was just a great way to kind of transition from all this formal education that I had on the art side of things and learn kind of all the back end stuff that goes into having a wedding photography business and also how to interact with your clients and all of that. And I would say it would, if you have the opportunity to do that, definitely take it. Um, the difference now though, is there was like no online education back then. This was back in 2013. So I'm aging myself quite a bit, but, um, there was just like, no, there weren't any online courses. There were two companies that made presets. Like there weren't, like there was nowhere near the resources that we have today. So I think then it was a lot more rare and valuable information than what's available to us today. But either way, either route you go, it depends on like what kind of learner you are. And, um, I guess how quickly you want to kind of 
dive into things. Um, any sort of education that you can get your hands on is going to be great, but as much in-person like internship, hands-on stuff, workshops, all of that, um, the more you can do of that, the better. So I'm super curious to know like how you got into photography education, because right now it doesn't really seem like you do much shooting. If I'm correct, you're mostly just doing education. So kind of like talk me through what it looked like for you to get started in educating people. Yeah. So like I said, that kind of happened around the time that, um, I was getting ready to have my first daughter and, um, I started getting asked a lot about mentor sessions and we were launching a workshop around that time. And I just noticed a lot of people started coming to me for advice and education just naturally, like DMing me or whatever it was. And, um, it was also a time where I was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to maintain shooting as much as I have been, especially being pregnant on a plane all the time. And because we had just moved, all of my weddings were out of state. So it's not like I necessarily was like trying to be a destination wedding photographer, at least like for all of my weddings, but, um, it ended up being that way. And I was just looking for a way to not have to maintain that lifestyle with a newborn. So, um, it started first with, like I said, offering mentor sessions and then launching a workshop and just kind of being viewed and recognized as an educator. And then after that, um, I noticed that I was getting asked a lot about my editing. And, um, like I mentioned before, there were only like two companies out there that were selling presets. And so it wasn't common at all for photographers to sell their own presets, which now like it's uncommon not to, but, um, so I was just kind of exploring the idea of what would it look like to sell my presets. And it, I definitely went back and forth with it because it wasn't common. And I didn't know if I was okay with just kind of giving away like my secret sauce. And so, um, I finally decided that it sounded like a good decision. And I thought maybe, you know, they'll sell a couple hundred of them in their lifetime and we'll be done with this, but like, why not? And they ended up changing the entire course of my business and my entire income and my lifestyle and everything, like the amount that those presets shifted. Everything is crazy to look back on. Um, and that was before Instagram stories. That was before I had ever set up email marketing or ads or anything. So I truly don't know how it happened. I think I just happened to get in at a good time, um, because it wasn't common. And from there, I just started looking at what people were needing and what was lacking in the industry, which at that time was a lot. There really wasn't a lot of education out there. And I realized that the next thing to offer would be um, a guide to help people get the best images they could so that the presets would work well on them. Because I noticed people would be coming to me saying, my photos don't look exactly like yours. Why is that? And then they would send me their raw photos, which were actually JPEGs, which were totally overexposed and whatever. And I'm like, this is the reason that your photos don't look the same is because your raw image is like a huge part of that. So I came out with, uh, the complete guide to camera settings, which is just a guide course. That's all the basics of basically how to use your camera and manual and how to capture a good, well-exposed in focus photo. And that kind of just snowballed into more courses, more guides and templates. And then 
as I took on more of those things and had less of a capacity to shoot, I also had more income from that, that I didn't really need to be shooting as much. And I kind of held on to shooting and my identity as a wedding photographer, just because I didn't know how to give that up because it was such a part of my identity. And I didn't really know who I was in the industry without that. So it was a very slow transition of easing more into education and, um, out of shooting, but, um, I don't take weddings anymore, but I still shoot a little bit on the side, mostly for fun, for personal projects, for friends and for other brands that are local that I do like trades with and stuff like that. So I like to keep shooting a little bit on the side just to keep me feeling creative, but I definitely am not shooting like I used to. Yeah, totally. That's so cool to hear like how you just did something new and it just turned completely into something that you were not expecting at all. And I think like that's a really good lesson for anyone listening that like you don't have to be super confident in it. Like just do it and try it. And if it doesn't do well, like, oh, well, but you literally never know unless you go and like launch something new. Like you just you just don't know. Um, So I think that's really cool. It's very inspiring. I'm inspired. Thank you. Yeah, there really isn't a lot of risk in creating digital products. Like there's not a ton of overhead, if any. And if they fail, no one even knows about it. Like you see your numbers, no one else does. So the like, there's no financial risk. There's no like public embarrassment risk. So I would say just go for it. Of course, it's going to take some time up front, but really it can be pretty simple a lot of times. And even if you spend a full day creating a guide and sell 10 of them, that's probably paying for your day that you spent creating them. So, and they probably will do so much better than that. So yeah, I would say go for it because passive income is such a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. So since we're on the topic of education, what do you think are some steps that someone, like let's say someone that's just shooting weddings or just a photographer right now, can take to become an educator. So what do you think are like those important first steps? Yeah. So I would make sure that you've been in the industry for quite some time and have spent some money and time on education for yourself, just to make sure, you know, you're legit and you're offering something, um, that is, well-researched and all of that. But, um, if you notice that people start coming to you, asking a lot of questions and are seeking you out for education and for answers, then start paying attention to what those questions are and what people, um, see as your area of expertise. And for me, that was editing, but for someone else, it might be branding or client experience or something like that. So start paying attention to questions you get asked over and over. And then I would start just establishing yourself as reputable and someone who is knowledgeable and offers education by posting content that is educating people in your industry. So instead of just shooting and not ever talking about the photography side of things or business side of things and immediately just jumping into releasing a product, you haven't really primed your audience yet for trusting that you know your stuff and trusting that um, you're equipped to teach them. So I would start by um, creating, basically doing everything you're doing right now. So creating a lot of reels and content um, surrounding the topic of education and just start gearing your content towards other people in your industry more so than just 
your clients and then people will start seeing you as knowledgeable and coming to you for answers. And then they'll also feel like they appreciate you and kind of not necessarily owe you something, but because they've received so much free education from you, they will be willing to spend because they're like, well, she's kind of given me so much. I will, you know, buy something. Plus if I've received all of this information for free that, and it's been this helpful, I can't imagine how much more helpful a paid product will be. So it kind of primes them and helps them trust you when you are ready to release something. Yeah, I really like that idea. I also feel like a lot of people when they want to get into education, they fear that it's going to like tank their shooting, like they're not going to get as many inquiries or like, you know, it's just going to like repel clients, but I honestly think it does like the opposite. Like I feel like as a client, if I'm seeing that my photographer like knows their stuff and you know it's just like well educated teaching others that's almost like seeing them as an authority figure and a lot of people when they hire their vendors or choose a photographer they're looking for someone that is like a figure of authority in some way like someone that can take charge and whatever um so that's just like a little something that I feel like I always get asked when I talk about education is like is it going to tank your bookings I feel like it doesn't you know Yeah, totally. I agree. It's like, would you rather hire someone that's like teaching like people to how to get a PhD in something or someone that's just a student? Like you're obviously going to want to hire the teacher. So I think, um, yeah, it's only setting you up for more success with your clients as well. And I think stepping into the education side also is going to increase your exposure. So your audience size will grow and you're bound to also then find more clients that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Okay. So let's talk about presets now. Since you brought it up, you mentioned, um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you first made your presets, maybe like kind of like the process you took. And then like, how did you know it was like the right time to start selling them? I think you kind of answered that, but kind of just like, you know, dive into it. Um, so for the longest time I was using, Visco presets, which was one of the two out there. And that's what everyone was using. And it was really years of using that and, um, just kind of for my projects in school and stuff and for personal work. And I was never a hundred percent happy with how my edits would look. And I would, they have so many presets in their packs, which I don't even know if they still sell them. And this isn't like the phone app. This is like their desktop Lightroom presets. And, um, I would always kind of just jump around and pick a new preset each time I had a shoot. And I remember looking back at my work and being like, it looks nothing like that. I would just be like, why did I edit it that way? And then that just kept happening. And I was never fully satisfied with my work and it didn't really stand the test of time. Like three months later, I'd be like, what was my style back then? And it was only, you know, a couple months ago. So, um, I started getting really into, the editing process. And just, I was fascinated by how much you could do with editing and looking at before and afters and just studying colors and color theory and, um, other people's work that I was inspired by and studying film and all of that. And I ended up having to take a couple, um, classes in college and one of them completely just focused on Lightroom. And so it was really beneficial at the time. And I really had no idea how actually beneficial it would be, but we were learning 
all of the ins and outs of the settings and what everything does. And so I would just go home at night and like after doing personal shoots on the weekend, I would go home and just mess around editing like all night and just see what I could do with them. And I would pull up inspiration images and just see how I could get my greens to look like that. Or like, what did I have to do to make my skin tones match the ones in the inspiration photo? So I spent a ton of time just researching and studying Lightroom and what different settings in there do. And eventually I was like, I'm just going to start fresh and see if I can create my own preset and like, um, kind of carry over all of the tweaks that I've been making consistently because I would always just tweak the hell out of these Visco presets. And I'm like, there's gotta be a way to just like start fresh and then use all of these adjustments I've been making and all the knowledge that I've taken from school and make something of my own that I don't have to always tweak that I don't look back on three months later and think like, what was I thinking? And that like, will stand the test of time and be like my signature style. So through a lot of tweaking and trial and error and shooting just so I could have content to then go home and edit, I came out or I came up with presets that I started using as my own. And those even ended up getting like slowly tweaked and refined over the years. And I would learn more and tweak more and they just gradually changed and grew with me. Um, and then I feel like I got them to a place that they were pretty consistent and I had a pretty signature style, which is so different than it is now. (laughs) It's very like moody and contrasty and like desaturated greens and everything that was popular back in like 2015. But, um, it was unique and people noticed that because I wasn't using, all of the presets that were available to everyone else. So, um, I feel like back then you really noticed when someone's style was really different. Um, and so then, yeah, I started getting asked about selling them and didn't really know what all that entailed. I was like, I know how to make them, but I don't know, like, I don't know. I just didn't know like how to transfer the file to the person. (laughs) Like I didn't know anything about like hosting a digital product on my website or anything like that. And I didn't know about like testing the presets on a ton of different camera bodies and stuff that I now know. And that's why years later I ended up discontinuing my first presets because I was like, I learned so much. I should definitely like ask for raws from like all different camera bodies and gear and everything, and then test them out and make sure they are working across all of these things and all different lighting settings. I kind of just like sold what I used that worked for me at the time. And, um, then learned a bunch after that and refined them and, um, started selling ones that were quite a bit more universal after just testing them and thinking about them as, like a photography tool as a whole, not just like what worked for me. Gotcha. Cool. And then as far as like your like little things in Lightroom that you always gravitate towards, what are like your favorite like little tricks that you do or just like little things in Lightroom that you're like, I can't live without this or like, this is my favorite thing to tweak? Yeah, I would say like the number one thing that is underrated and is so simple is to bring contrast down, which, and maybe shadows up because those are just things that I think normally people tend to do the opposite. They think like, oh, this photo needs more. So I need to like deepen the shadows and like up the contrast. And it ends up just making 
skin tones look weird and shadows look really muddy and those kind of things. So usually I feel like if you're finding your presets look too harsh or um, you can't figure out skin tones, that would be the first thing that I would suggest that's so simple but so underrated. Um, On top of that, I am huge fans or a huge fan of the HSL sliders and I will mess with those all day. And I feel like those really define your style because they you can literally control micro control every single color within your photo so um you can make the greens totally different which is a huge indicator of you know what kind of style you prefer and you can adjust skin tones there like there's really so much you can do that if i had to have one area that i needed to use to like correct pretty much everything within the image. Um, I could probably do most of it within the HSL sliders. Yeah. I find myself like always going towards color grading for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um, like I love HSL too, but I love how in color grading it just like, like, like you can adjust like the, the colors in the shadows, which I think right. is really cool. Like mm-hmm. it's like specific areas of the photo, like you can put a color there, which I feel like for so long in my work, I was always like something is missing in the shadows and I just like couldn't figure it out. And then color grading came out and I was like, oh my gosh, like it's color grading. Totally. Um, I feel like color in general just makes such a huge difference with an edit. Like, yeah. You can focus on like exposure and like stuff like that. But at, at the end of the day, I feel like color, like you said, is what like defines your style. Right. Yeah. Color grading was my other, like that would have been my runner up because I think that you can, it's nice that you can give the photo a different hue or tint or whatever without adjusting the white balance. Like if you want a warmer edit, a lot of people will just change the temperature to be warmer, but then it just looks unbalanced. But then if you use color grading for that, there's a lot of ways to subtly add warmth that are less like in your face, putting a blanket of yellow over the whole image. And you're maintaining those natural colors within the skin tones and the sky that shouldn't really have a lot of like extra warmth or you know, and so if you're adding those two select areas, it's a nice way to um, add warmth or make your photo feel more filmy or retro by adding like greens to the shadows or different things like that. You can kind of create like a um, like a cross processed effect or a filmy effect or um, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely changes the whole mood of the photos. And you can also use color grading to um, essentially do a similar thing to HSL sliders, because if your greens, let's say are too like bright, yellowy, saturated greens and, but your greens are registering as shadows. If you add the opposite color of that, like blue in the shadows, it's going to balance out that warm tint and help your greens appear softer. So you can really use color grading, not only to enhance your images, but also to kind of fine tune and correct certain things that you might not be a fan of. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love like the idea of just like finding a color and if it's not your vibe, just like doing the opposite of that color and just like adding it in color grading. I, it's such like a color theory thing, but I feel like it's just like 
lot of people don't think like if you're seeing a specific color come through warmth or let's say it's like too blue like you just add the opposite of that and that's how you fix it and it just like kind of makes it doesn't make it go away completely but it does like fix the problem enough that you can kind of just like yeah just add a little bit of color grading right yeah um so as far as like consistency goes um what are some things that you do like either in Lightroom or like while you're shooting that you feel like help with consistency because I feel like a lot of listeners of this podcast are like beginner intermediate photographers and I feel like that's something that a lot of people struggle with is consistency so like what would be some advice that you would give um I feel like shooting it's not as conscious but um I tend to be drawn towards softer light which helps if you're consistently shooting in softer light like window light or shade um, or backlit light that helps your raw images be more consistent which is going to lend to more consistent edits I also shoot in auto white balance shift. So instead of shooting in Kelvin, which I mean, if you're shooting in raw, you can tweak the white balance however you want it after the fact, but it helps give me a better starting point that is more consistent with not only the rest of my images from the day, but also if I have a second shooter. So I basically set my white balance to auto. And then there's an, at least on Canon, there's an auto white balance shift option where you can essentially just shift the white balance however you prefer it. So if you prefer more cool magenta images, then you would just shift the white balance that way. So it's still automatically reading the situation and white balancing it for you, but then it's like adding a little bit of magenta and blue. So my preferences are more green, yellow, but also I for a while shot with one Mark three and one Mark four, and those are not exactly the same. And so I would find a lot of inconsistencies when I was editing with both of those images side by side. And so I would shift those white balances accordingly to kind of offset the differences and make them more consistent with each other. And then I would have my second shooter set their auto white balance to be the same as mine. So that instead of us trying to guess what the Kelvin should be and try to match, which would end up looking very different because we have different eyes and preferences. Um, our images would look almost exactly the same if we were shooting the same thing. So at least they would look like the same white balance. And then from there with editing, I always try to, and I would recommend always using at least the same preset pack as a base for your entire session. So Some people like to jump around from pack to pack or preset to preset or artist to artist presets within a session, which if you can master that props to you, because that would be really hard for me. And I feel like it would take a lot of extra work. Um, And I think sometimes it totally works to use different presets within the same pack um, for one session. But for me, I like to just start with an image that is very easy to edit, I guess I would say. So like one with soft lighting, usually one that has some skin tones, some greens, some whites, stuff like that in it. And I'll edit that photo completely with, I'll figure out which preset is best as a base out of the ones that I have or my favorite pack that I'm using. And then I will completely edit that photo, make all the adjustments, um, And then save that as a new preset for just that session. And when saving that new preset, I'm not saving the white balance shifts because that's going to be different in 
every photo. I'm not saving the, um, exposure adjustments because that's going to be different. I'm mostly just saving the color adjustments that I'm making. And then I will use that new preset as a base for the whole thing. And there will definitely be tweaking within each photo, but at least the preset itself has been adjusted for whatever the lighting was like that day or the weather was like that day, whatever color the bridesmaids dresses are, whatever their skin tone is. And it just kind of works for that session. And a lot of times the changes are very minor from what I'm starting with, but it's just a good starting point, especially if I notice, okay, every time I apply this favorite preset of mine to this session, it makes their dresses look really like orange and they're supposed to be red. So that's a tweak that I just don't want to make every single time I edit an image. And instead of either losing consistency by having to make those changes every time or forgetting to make the changes one time or whatever, I would just rather work really hard to get a great starting point and then use that throughout the entire session and make small changes as I go. Yeah, that's really good. I love that idea. I personally, when I edit, I find that I use the um, comparison tool a lot. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever used it, but it's like the side-by-side comparison. Um, so I think like if you start with that and like create that preset, like you're saying for the colors, and then, you know, you're putting that preset on a photo and always comparing it to that first photo that you edited with that like edit, that's like the base for it all. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that really is just going to like, one, it's going to help you be faster. Like you just see side-by-side what you need to do. Um, right. And if you already have the colors done, like it's all about work smarter, not harder, you know, and consistency is one of those things that shouldn't be hard because like, it's all a matter of shooting and like editing and colors and stuff. Um, Yeah. And a lot of times I will come back to the gallery and just look at it as a whole. Like I'll zoom out to the grid view and just make sure that no section of the day is standing out looking really different than another part of the day. And parts are going to look different. If you're shooting a full day wedding, like you're definitely going to have a lot of variety within the gallery because you're going to be inside, outside. Maybe the sun went behind the clouds and maybe it's bright sunlight now or golden hour. So there should be variety, but it shouldn't look like it's edited by a different artist. And, um, I think it's also helpful to compare to the original, like raw photos. I do that a lot where if I'm worried that, the colors of the preset are kind of changing what the colors were in real life. I want to make sure that I'm maintaining at least the colors that they chose specifically for their wedding. So I don't want their dress color to look different or their suit color to look different or their flowers to look different. Um, Of course, it's okay to put like an artistic spin on the edits, but I just try to make sure that it's looking how it did the day of, um, and like their skin tone, hair color, all of that. So if you're making sure that you're sticking to what the natural colors were, that's going to also lend to having consistent edits. Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of referring back to your raws because at the end of the day, I feel like my style, your style, a lot of photographers, their style is just kind of like, um, bringing out the natural colors that were there and just enhancing them, not necessarily Mm -hmm. like completely switching them and altering them, but like just enhancing what's there. And, you know, there are some presets that like maybe change the blues a little bit and maybe the suits end up looking like a completely different color, 
Like that's something you have to go in and like intentionally change. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a good like rule of thumb to try to keep those colors specifically from a wedding because it's like they chose those colors for a reason. So like if you're going and switching everything, like they might have something to say or like in internally they might feel like, you know, not great about it if all the colors are completely different afterwards. So it's also thinking about your client too at that point. Right. I feel like when they look at the photos, they shouldn't really be noticing the edit. They should just be seeing them and thinking like, wow, this looks even more beautiful than when I like was there in person or like, how do these look so dreamy and like colorful or whatever the description is instead of being like, oh, they look so yellow or like, oh, my skin looks weird or that's not the color of the dress or why do they look like, you know, there's like a filter over all of them. So I try to edit in a way that they don't see that they first see the image and then maybe they notice like, oh, wow, I love how like creamy the whites are or whatever, if they're paying attention to that. But overall, they're mostly seeing the image and the emotion and then thinking like, wow, this looks even better than I remember it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good like thing to think about is like, is the edit noticeable or is it like just enhancing what's already there? That's good. Mm Okay, so I want to talk to you about branding because I feel like your branding is very just like on point and like very much reflects you. And so I guess my question for you is like, how did you find your brand voice? And like when it comes to branding, like how did you get your branding to a point where you're like, yes, I feel like this really reflects me? Yeah, I feel like it's always a process and I'm always like, Oh, maybe I want to rebrand. I just think branding is really fun. I'm really excited by it. Um, and I definitely have a certain aesthetic that I feel like carries through all as like my wardrobe, my home, my branding, like everything that I do. So it just felt natural to like have that aesthetic in my branding, but it definitely developed a lot over time. And I've learned a lot along the way. And um I started basically, well, before I started working with a, a graphic designer, um, I like literally hand wrote my logo on a piece of paper that I still have and like took a photo on an iPod and sent it via email and like put the contrast way up again back in 2013. Um, so like I didn't even have an iPhone at the time and I somehow made a logo, but it's not great, <laughs> but to that point, I feel like investing in a graphic designer when you're ready can be really helpful. And she um, was not only valuable in providing the graphic design and um, just actual deliverables, but helpful in kind of pulling out what I wanted and what I was trying to attract. And she asked a ton of questions that helped me think about branding in a new way because she would ask about who your ideal client is. And then we would like name her and give her an age and like what she does for fun on the weekends and all those things. And so it just completely shifted the way I thought about branding and thought about who I wanted to attract and what the things that I put out there did for my audience or how they attracted or repelled certain people. And since then, I mean, I, my first major branding project was in 2016, which seems like that's when a lot of things happened in my business. But from then 
it's just been a refining process and I've rebranded a couple times, but each time it's been more and more subtle. Like there've been smaller tweaks with each rebrand and now we just call them like refreshes because we're just maybe like shifting a couple fonts or like changing the color palette ever so slightly or just adding on a new branch of my brand that we need to like have a little bit of a spin on. But I've been working with the same graphic designer since my first branding project in 2016. And so it's been really helpful to have her because she knows all those answers to my questions because she's been working with me for so long and has asked me so much along the way. So I feel like having someone who is willing to really get to know your business and your brand and your personality and build something off of that and not just like hiring out someone to create a logo for you. Um, and thinking about it as like an all encompassing thing of it's not just a logo and a color palette and fonts. It's like the entire feel of your business and how you talk online and the content that you share and, um, like the energy that you bring and all of that. So, um, I just, yeah, started thinking about it in a new way and then try to just consistently carry those brand elements through on every single platform that I have. And like anytime I'm sharing online, which feels authentic because like I said, it's, it's very much my normal aesthetic in all other areas. So it's just like what I'm drawn to anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I love how branding is just like literally like it's just you like it's just asking someone to take you and put it into fonts and colors. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So it's just super cool. And I like I like the idea of working with a designer when you're ready because there are just like outside elements that like a designer can help you with. Um, But my question for you is as far as like the importance of branding goes like why why should a photographer have strong branding? Like, why is it important? Um, there's so many reasons, but I think one of the main ones is because having a certain brand or a strong brand is going to set you apart. That's going to be the main thing that differentiates you from other photographers, because there's so many people in our industry that are offering the same product and service. And now that we do have presets that we're all using or locations that we're all shooting at. And there's just, it's so popular to be a photographer. It is really hard to set yourself apart with just your work and your portfolio is just not enough to, um, really define your brand. So having a consistent brand online is not only going to set you apart and, um, kind of show how you are different and really, appeal to a certain audience or certain client. Um, but it's also going to elevate how polished and professional and legitimate your brand and business seem. So, um, if you think about like, we are so impacted by branding every single day, probably without even realizing it, but like, I will buy a soap just because the branding is better. Like I will buy, you know, makeup just because the branding is better. And part of it is like, I would rather have that on my shelf because it's prettier, but also like I, for some reason, just trust it more when the branding is better. I'm like, Oh, their branding speaks to me. So they like get me, like they know my vibe, they know my style. And I'm like, it's soap. Like they don't, what does that have anything to do with my style? It's probably just as effective 
or less than like Dove, but because it's branded so well, I just want it and I'm drawn to it. So the same thing goes for a business or a service provider. If your branding is very curated and very you and um, very niche, it's going to speak to a specific clientele and they're going to be much more drawn to you and want to book you because of your branding. Yeah. That's a really good way of looking at it. It's like, like you said, like pretty photos or I guess like having a good portfolio is like not enough. And like 1000%, like I cannot agree with that more. Like I, I feel like, yes, it's good to have good photos. Like obviously if you're a photographer, that's the point, but it's not enough. Like at this point in time, like a lot of photos look similar. Like a lot of people have access to the same gear and the same preset. So it's like, you have to find something that sets you apart. And that is literally you, like you as a person, like there's no one else like you. So that is what is going to set you apart. And that's just like a really good point. Just setting yourself apart from other photographers. Cause at the end of the day, that's, what's going to lead to someone booking with you. Right. And you had said like, it's cool that your branding is literally just like a visual representation of who you are. And that is a hundred percent true. But I think some people don't necessarily feel like their personality is what they want their brand to be because they're so swayed by trends. Um, and so I would just encourage people to actually make their brand a hundred percent, a representation of themselves, because that is going to stick with them longer and feel more authentic and they will show up in a more authentic way and not want to just rebrand every single time a new trend comes out. And I know it's really hard because I will see new trends of like bright purple and yellow, like wavy fonts. And I'm like, I want that. Like I want to rebrand everything. I want like disco balls on my website. Like let's change it all. And then I'm like, okay, that's like really cool right now, but it probably, it doesn't feel as me. Like I haven't been into this before this trend was around. So like, I'm going to stick to what's more timeless and like what will be me for the long run. And also by doing that, I am attracting people who genuinely connect with me, not just connect with that trend. So on top of that, another part of branding that's really important is just your actual personality and the way that you show up online and the words that you write and the things that you say. And so, um, being sure to, not only have those things match up. So the visuals match up with the words and your personality, but also just making sure that that genuinely feels like you. And it's not just what you think people want to hear, because if you're just putting what's popular out there, one, you're going to blend in with everyone else because everyone's saying the same thing. And two, you're going to connect with the wrong people. So you're going to show up to your shoot and they're either going to expect someone that you're not, and you're going to have to fake it, or you're going to surprise them and maybe disappoint them. Or you're going to be working with all those clients that you don't necessarily feel a connection with. And you're wondering why. And I think when I was starting, I was like, okay, everyone's into adventure photography and hiking mountains and being really bubbly and outgoing and dancing on their like Instagram and all these things. And loving coffee and dogs in national parks. And then I was like, okay, I love all these things too. Cause I didn't like hate those things. I was just like, yeah, sure. Like let's lean into that. And then I'm like, 
I don't really love like being rugged and like being like outdoors all the time. Like I love traveling, but probably traveling and staying in like a nice hotel, and like that kind of thing. And so I was just attracting all of these clients that I didn't necessarily feel were like a hundred percent my people. Like I love all my clients, but I think I was just really pushing into this trend of like being a certain way. And then I kind of had to like just really maintain that. And once I started leaning into more of who I actually was, which is more introverted and I like spa days and true crime documentaries and like champagne and traveling to a nice hotel and eating dinner and at restaurants and whatever, like things like that. I was like, I don't have to be like, there are plenty of people that are going to connect with that person. I don't have to be this like crazy, bubbly, outgoing, like dancing on reels person. I can just show up in a more like calm, introverted, collected way and not like crazy bubbly way. And there's going to be 50% of the people out there that connect more with the calm person than connect with this like inauthentic, really bubbly person. So, um, just giving yourself permission to be how you like naturally are. And I know authenticity is a word that we overuse a lot in the industry, but you really like don't need to just fake a personality because you think that that's what people want to see. Like there's not a specific personality that is like the successful type for photographers or for Instagram or whatever. Like if you are showing up authentically, people will see that and they'll see right through inauthenticity. So, um, think about like how to incorporate your own personality and interest into your branding and, um, just make sure you're doing that in a way that actually feels like you. Yeah. 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 I feel like an important thing to like make note of on this topic is like, yes, be you and be authentic, but like, don't overshare and like over lean into it. Like to the point where it's like, unprofessional and like almost going to repel you know what I mean like so I think of like myself on like let's say Instagram like I there are certain things in my personality that I feel like I've like ingrained into my brand you know like I like matcha and blah 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 whatever it is like nail stuff whatever (laughs) I feel like that's the stuff that I've put into my brand but I'm not like necessarily like putting out like every single thing about me that exists because I think there's a certain point to where you need to remember that as a business owner on social media ultimately you want to somehow always bring it back to your client and like how can you serve them and so like some I think sometimes there are some things that are unnecessary um I'm thinking more of like the oversharing part of it but um like you said, it's good to be authentic, but I just want to like put like a little asterisk by it and be like, be authentic, but like, don't take it to the point where it's like, now people don't want to follow you or like, you know, like ultimately you're running a business. So like you want to make sure you're like being a good business owner first and foremost. Yeah. And I think a helpful way to think about that is because I went through just figuring out how do I show up online when I am no longer shooting weddings because for so long before it was really popular to be like more of an influencer or just like, you know, a full, like well-rounded brand with all of your personality and everything showing. 
I was sharing just mostly my work and I would try to be intentional with my captions and I would try to share like some behind the scenes and stuff and not just make it my portfolio. But when I shifted from shooting all the time to no longer taking any bookings, I had this meeting with my team or multiple meetings where I was like, I don't know who I am anymore. Like, I don't know how to show up online. Like, I know who I am, but I don't know like who I am to my audience who's been following me to like hear educational tips about photography and like inspiration and um, all of that and who has been here to see my work. And I've always like paired educational captions with my portfolio online, but I was like, what do they want? Like, I don't know if they care about like my personal life and all of these things. And my team was like, okay, well you have been like kind of sharing these personal things and you kind of have a theme of like what you share. And so it's helpful. And Jenna Kutcher talks about this, but, um, having like five content pillars or five ish content pillars of categories that, you know, resonate with your followers and, just making sure that anything you do share kind of fits within those. I mean, obviously you can share outside of that, but they can be pretty broad. And yeah, also just thinking like, is this serving my business and like helping build a connection with my followers and helping um, further my brand and my like audience and identity? Or is it kind of taking away from that? Is it too much? Is it doing anything for me? Um, So like an example of some of my content pillars are like my home and I share like renovation updates and like links and like decor and all of that. And those posts get more engagement than my photography stuff ever has. So I know that that's like resonating with my audience. And then I share like motherhood and family life and my kids. And I get a lot of DMS with those and like people who are moms, like talk to me about balancing motherhood and work and all of that. So that's one that I know is connecting and that I can also relate back to being a business owner because, you know, they tie into each other of just balancing it all. Um, and then another one is like, uh, health and wellness and self-care and nutrition and fitness and all of that. And so, um, just like things that you are genuinely really into, like I would also consider those, the five things that I share about, like to be, the five things that are like most relevant in my life or hobbies or whatever the passions in my life. So you know that they're authentic to you and you know that they also resonate with your audience. So if they, if there's something that you're not sure if you should post, like check and see, does this like fall into one of my content pillars or is it something that my audience has shown that they resonate with? And is it going to build a bigger connection with those people? Like is this relatable? Is this entertaining? Is it educational? Is it inspirational? Like make sure that it's one of those things and it's not just something that's like deterring people from you or detracting from your brand. Right. Yeah. That's so good. I I love that concept. The content pillars are like so good if you're just like, if you're that type of person that needs that structure, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, what do I post today? Go back to the content pillars, you know, like those are kind of like, that's like the Bible of like Instagram and TikTok or your brand ultimately is just like mm-hmm. getting those pillars in place. That's, that's really good. Um, so I think that's all we have time for, um, for today's episode, but before, um, we hang up or what do we, what do we, 
end this call, whatever. <laughs> um, why don't you tell everyone where they can find and follow you um, on socials and everything? Yeah. So my Instagram is just dawn.charles and my website is dawncharles.com. And from those two things, you can basically find everything else. Cool. Well, this was so good having you on the podcast. Um, Thanks again. And I hope everyone has a great rest of their day. Expose my mind to clarity. Oh, my spirit shudders. Capture the moment or keep my sanity. No wisdom rushing in. So much clearer now. Getting a little bit higher. With every step I take, I'm getting good. Getting a little bit better. I'm climbing to the top.